Welcome back to Inspire Radio. This is the Rusty and Dusty Drive Time Show taking you through to six this afternoon. And it is happy Thanksgiving Day and we are now live to West, West Virginia and United States and America. Happy Thanksgiving, EJ. Happy Thanksgiving, EJ. Hey, hey, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you all, too. <laughs> it's awesome. It is um, awesome to uh, do you guys, hear. Do you guys celebrate Thanksgiving? Do you no. even celebrate Thanksgiving down there? No, we don't, but I am going to have some turkey just for you. <laughs> well, oh, that works. That works. We've got a lot of uh, <laughs> listeners, uh, the American listeners across Australia, so uh, we're celebrating on their behalf. And what we want to know is a little bit about yourself, where you are, um, and, and a bit about Thanksgiving for all the people over here who have no idea what's going on and why a turkey needs to be pardoned. <laughs> um, I am originally from outside of Chicago, and I've lived kind of from coast to coast across the U.S., and I've spent the last 30 years here in West Virginia. So I've got a little bit of taste of of what Thanksgiving is all around the country, although I certainly can't represent everybody because there are traditions that are particular to to families and things like that. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) um, All right. So what what is Thanksgiving about? Well, you know, the origins of Thanksgiving have to do with the Mayflower coming from England to what they, you know, brilliantly named New England. (laughs) Um, and settling in, and it was back in, I think they left in 1620, and I don't know who chose the timing of their trip, but they left in September and arrived at the beginning of November on the northern coast of the Pacific, which is a frigid place to be in the wintertime, and they basically spent most of the winter on the ship, and they they started with like a 100-some people, and they lost at least half of them over just in that in those few months of the winter due to exposure and sickness and malnutrition. So in the spring when they essentially were really truly looking to settle in, they met up with some non-aggressive Native Americans and, who helped them acclimatize and learn how to plant and and what, you know, the natural foods of this continent were and so in the fall, uh, it's traditional in Britain to have a fall harvest festival, and they carried on that tradition here. And, of course, it had higher impact because they had survived. Um, and after that, the tradition sort of carried on sporadically. It didn't really become a national holiday until late 1800s, I believe, with Abe Lincoln. Um, and so it's traditionally the, the fourth uh, Thursday of November. And culturally these days, it's it's really all about family. It's it's about family and food. But but the big focus of it is to get together with as many family members as you pos- or and or friends that are family uh, as you possibly can. Oh, that okay. sounds awesome! And gorge, and so, gorge yourself sick. Yeah. So, so where does the where does the turkey come into this? I'm guessing that the turkey was ready to harvest, uh, reached its prime at the fall or autumn, as we call it here, and uh, that was part of the celebration, and it's kind of stuck. Is that about right? Yeah, 
Well, yeah, there's there's no specific record in the from the Mayflower that says they had turkey at this meal, but it does say they had wild fowl. And turkey is a bird that's native to to this country, so it it can be very well assumed that turkey was part of that celebration, and it was certainly um, a bird that is readily at hand for anybody who's living off the land uh, on the East Coast. So yes, it it just eventually became a big deal thing to have is is turkey, and and if you think too, if you think like Charles Dickens um, with the Christmas Carol. He played up the fact that that the the end gift was for Scrooge to buy a Christmas bird or turkey for the family, and it just sort of that bird became a symbol of prosperity and thankfulness and givingness. So yes, it it just got tied into the holiday. Oh, cool! All it's, right, it's not a bird you would it's not a it's not a bird you would buy every day to serve your family because it's also a very large fowl, <laughs> so it's, it's going to feed a lot of food people. Yeah. You know? uh, where did the pardoning come into that? <laughs> I had to look that up. To be honest with you, and apparently nobody knows nobody knows a hundred percent when and how that started. What again? Back in the days of Abe Lincoln, some very enterprising poultry farmer took it upon himself to once to send a bird once a year to the White House. And of course, it became a tradition um, over the years, and he made a name for himself, which was good business practice. And then when he passed away, other people took up the mantle, and eventually the National Poultry Union just started doing that as well. Nobody really knows when the pardoning started happening, because <laughs> initially those birds were, were eaten. Do you know what I mean? But at some point, somebody must have said, well, we don't want to eat this bird. And and a joke became, well, we'll pardon it, so we're not going to kill it. And now the tradition is that there's an official pardon, you know, pardoning ceremony, and the bird is then shipped off to some uh, children's zoo or, you know, sanctuary where people know this is the pardoned presidential bird and it, and it gets to enjoy the rest of its life. So. Classic. Awesome. Okay, strange, but awesome. There's definitely been a few turkeys yeah, yeah. in the White House over the years. You know, strange but awesome I think often describes the customs of this country, so I can live with that. Hey, what actually happens on the day? Like you get up in the morning and I, I was reading up about it and – is it true that people are now deep frying a turkey? Oh, absolutely. I, absolutely. I, I, um, that sounds amazing I to see, me. I would I, love that. How do you deep fry a turkey? <laughs> there is a, a, a tradition in the South to deep fry anything you can get your hands on. Yeah. So you can deep fry a Twinkie. You can deep fry a Snickers bar. You can deep fry ice cream. So a turkey, you bet. <laughs> How do you actually? I'm just trying to imagine the size of the pot that you would need to drop a drop a deep uh, bird into a, a turkey. In that matter, oh my gosh! <laughs> All right, they're, so- they're massive, and they recommend you not use like more than like a twelve or fourteen pound bird. And you absolutely must do it outside, well away from your house, if you wish to not burn your house down. <laughs> so, so that was the where the Thanksgiving is. If, if you've got a bird at the end of it, and your house is still standing, 
Yeah, it, it's really sad and unfortunate, but a lot of people have not. There's a lot of really strict rules you have to follow about um, thawing the bird out and making sure it's, it's like padded dry and all. Normally, I don't know how much you've dealt with a turkey, but we often buy them frozen and they're often, by the time they thaw, they're, they're just sweating with moisture. And yeah. if you plunk that into hot oil, you've got one heck of a mess so you know and it's literally an explosion so um you know there's a whole bunch of protocols people are supposed to follow with it yeah I'm, um, I'm and quite unfortunately familiar. like many many things people get drunk uh-huh. <laughs> and they go oh, just go throw this turkey in the fire and, and uh madness ensues you were saying, Rusty? Uh, I'm so I'm quite familiar with the turkey because uh, I'm I'm from an English background and we celebrate Christmas and have turkey at Christmas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we do here too, but the thing with with Christmas is we we often will add ham to that menu um, oh, to yeah. kind of I don't know spice it up because <laughs> we just had it for Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? A lot of families will do turkey for Thanksgiving and ham for Christmas instead. I see, yeah. Well, it takes that long to to, uh, eat a whole turkey, I suppose. So what actually happens on the day? Like, is it just everyone just gets together and and (laughs) tries not to set the house on fire or or what? (laughs) Well, you know, every family obviously is going to have their own traditions. But generally speaking, at least in my family heritage, you've spent, well, goodness, when I was growing up and my mom would get a huge bird, she'd get up at, you know, oh, dark 30 to put that bird in the oven so it had like a good six hours to cook or however long it took. Nowadays, we've got like broiling bags that cut that time in half, so it's much less stressful. Um, but, you know, hopefully you've made ahead your some of your things. When you get a turkey, you may not know this, when you get a turkey, in stuffed inside the bird when it comes from the store is this baggie of innards that are called giblets. And it's, it's the heart and the liver and the neck and the gizzard. You know, it's, it's, it's the parts that are, people consider still edible, but... Not everybody likes that kind of strong flavored meat. And a lot of people throw those away. A lot of people boil them up for stock. Um, some people will cook them and then add them to your to the, your stuffing. So there's a lot of kind of prep that's got to go in. I mean, like I said, when you buy a frozen turkey, you need, you know, it's got to thaw in the refrigerator for several days before it's even ready to cook. So, but on the day of, hopefully you've done all your prep work. Um, you, you put the bird in the oven and you've got all your side dishes. Usually you've got family. In our case, I have three siblings. So it was, you know, my parents, my siblings, their spouses, their kids, and everybody arrives a couple hours before the meal. Generally the men sit in the living room and, and do whatever, or go out in the garage and tinker with the car. And the women are in the kitchen making the food when the meal's ready. And in our household, we'd time it for like a late lunch one or two o'clock in the afternoon and, and you sit down and you enjoy this big family meal, cleaning things away. And, and then you spend the afternoon watching a lot of football, <laughs> perhaps yeah. a couple movies, yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe playing some cards or board games. But, you know, in a lot of families, I remember as a kid, especially you'd get up and watch the Macy's day Thanksgiving parade. Now Macy's is this huge department store in New York that's been around for forever. And they started doing a Thanksgiving Day parade that ends with the arrival of Santa Claus. And again, in a great American tradition, it was commercially minded. Yeah. <laughs> because yep. <laughs> bringing Santa Claus 
started promoting the shopping season. Um, but it's it's been going on for forever this parade, and um, it's it the parade is like three miles long. It involves thousands of people to put it on, and even more thousands of people show up to watch it. Except this year, which of course is COVID lockdown, so mm. they're sort of doing a remote kind of parade. Yeah, of awesome! By golly, yeah. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> Awesome. My gosh, it sounds like a full-on day. There is another side to Thanksgiving Day, though, isn't it? I think, is it called the Day of Mourning? Yeah, and to my shame and dismay, I only just heard about this a couple of years ago. That started in 1970, I believe. And what happened is it it was a big anniversary year of the pilgrims coming over. And so the state of Massachusetts wanted to do a big hoo-ha celebration, and they invited um, a descendant of the original Native tribes that had helped the pilgrims out to come and, and do a speech. Well, often happens in a big production, you have to have your speech approved. And they didn't approve his speech because he wanted to, he wanted to tell the truth about what had happened. And the truth of what had happened was that the pilgrims were not coming to piece of land that had never been visited by Europeans before. Europeans had come and gone up and down the coast of this country for about 100 years on and off before the pilgrims actually arrived. And unfortunately, when they came, they weren't coming to settle. They were coming to trade or stop or, you know, get water, get food, whatever. And when they would have encounters with the native peoples, it usually ended badly. They often stole people and sold them into slavery. They unfortunately spread diseases that the native Americans had zero tolerance and immunity to, and it would wipe out whole villages. So the truth behind the pilgrims and Thanksgiving is that the reason the natives where they landed were quote-unquote friendly was A, not long before that time period, they had had disease run through and they were very weakened, but their natural enemy tribes to the just west of them were not weakened, didn't get sick. And so they were already at, at a disadvantaged position. And when the, the white settlers came, they were like, we cannot afford to be fighting on two fronts, see if we can make peace with these people. So the other way they could communicate is that they had two of their members who had been sold into slavery who managed to escape and make it back some years later and spoke English. So they communicated with the settlers. They made peace. They signed a pact. Part of the pact was that the settle settlement would stay small. And we know all know how that worked out. Yeah. Um, and so this man wanted to basically call attention to the truth. He's like, you know, it, that's nice, but let's let's talk about truth. And the committee said, yeah, no, you're not giving that speech. Here's a really nice cleaned up whitewash speech you can give. And he said, no, thank you. And he and a bunch of people went to another town nearby and did their own event. And it's been going on every year ever since. Unfortunately, in this country, a lot of people don't want to hear about that. It doesn't get a lot of press coverage even. It doesn't get a lot of um, news. And so, like I said, I only recently, in recent years, even found out about it my, myself. And, you know, I was born in the 60s, so you'd think I would have heard about it before now. If I did, it was just in passing, and it was a blip on the radar, and I didn't know. Hopefully, now that, you know, 
things are coming more to light more and more in this country, and more and more people are not just willing, but actually eager to address these hard truths of the founding of our country and make some kind of fix or reparations moving forward, maybe it'll get a lot more attention. I hope so. It doesn't detract. I mean, in my opinion, facing those hard truths doesn't take away. I think people are afraid we're trying to take away the meaningfulness of our heritage. And I I just don't think you have meaningfulness in your heritage unless you're honest about what happened. Yeah, yeah. We've got a similar situation over here that uh, the Aboriginal history of Australia has um, quite often been told from one side of the story and I I know going when I was growing up going through school that the things that are coming out not now so the atrocities that have been inflicted on uh, the Aboriginal Australians now I never heard about when I was at school but if finally exactly right finally the truth is is being spoken about so it's slowly coming out over yeah. the years yeah yeah so I don't know if Australia went through, like in America in the late 60s and early 70s, of course, we were, you know, embroiled in Vietnam and fighting a battle about black American racism. And so if you go back and, you know, I grew up as a child of those days, but I was a grade schooler. And so in my little mind, all of this was on the forefront and it got dealt with because they put laws in place for women's rights and black rights and this and that and the other. And in my little mind, I thought, okay, we're good. And then it all settled back down. And now we find out, oh, no, it wasn't good. That didn't really fix anything. It helped. Yeah. It advanced some causes a little bit, but it really didn't get there. And and I'm what's interesting to me and what I think I'm finding is back in the 60s and 70s, it was predominantly a youth movement that was trying to make these changes. And they ran up against the wall of older people who didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And now what I'm seeing is folks my age, I'm 59, who were around back then and are kind of going, wait a minute, this is 50 years later and it's, it's certainly not much better than it was. Isn't it about time we fix this? So the older generation, my generation, seems to be getting on board. My son is 29. He's huge on this. He, this is very important to him. He wants to fix this and, and settle things and, and you know try to heal these wounds. But my generation does, too, because we understand now this is, this is not going to go, you know, you can't just sweep this under the carpet. This yeah. needs to be dealt with or we're not going to do well moving forward as a country. We're so divided right now. Yeah. So I, I have hope. I actually have hope. We can be thankful that uh, there is, there, is uh, there are people that are invested in making making difference and putting the wrongs right. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. All right. Well, EJ, so, thank you. Gee, on that happy note. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, EJ, I want to say thank you so, so much for chatting with us. I understand it's about like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning over there. So uh, we really appreciate you uh, yes, it being, is. being up here for us <laughs> and um, letting us know, know about Thanksgiving and Day of Mourning. And I hope you have an awesome Thanksgiving day. And for all our American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.